Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes the things that we are asked to do, the expectations that are put on us are not fun. You know, they're not, they're not enjoyable. Sometimes they don't seem right or fair. This week we continue to look at faith, the faith and, and faith experiences of Abraham. He deeply understands our frustrations with the things that God brings into our lives. The directions that God is calling us to go. As we work through our text this morning, I pray that God will be working on each of us, encouraging us and pushing us. May we each have faith in the promises of God. Text this morning is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. We read the word of the Lord. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Thus ends the reading this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Does anyone, does anyone like taking tests? I know there are probably a few crazies out there that enjoy that type of thing, but for real, like really, does anyone like taking tests. I'm not, I'm not personally like the greatest test taker. I did, uh, I, I typically did pretty well in school, but, but tests, they had a way of like freaking me out. And I just, I didn't feel confident in them because I, I didn't feel like after I took a test, the knowledge that I had was adequately expressed. I don't know if anyone else can relate to that, but tests would just, like, they would frustrate me. I'd sit in, in front of that paper, and it, it would seem like my brain would just refuse. It would just be like, no, you're taking a test. I'm just not going to work for you today. Like, I'm not going to do the things that I normally do, the things that you would expect me to be able to do. And it would, like, rebel. It wouldn't bring to surface the answers that I needed and I would just stare at a question numbly, hoping that the answer would eventually surface. But I wouldn't be incredibly confident in that particular hope. Now, this didn't always happen to me. But when it did, I would get, I would get so frustrated. I would feel so defeated, so helpless. I would still typically pass my tests in school. They just wouldn't necessarily reflect how much I was learning since my brain would refuse to cooperate on, on test day. I still remember the time that I failed my first test. It was my junior year, and I was at a boarding school in Minnesota. My father was still serving a church up in Canada where I spent many of my growing up years and all of my school years to this point. It was chemistry. Stinking chemistry, man. Like, really? I struggled with math in school, and, and some of the concepts and equations that were being introduced in chemistry were a bit beyond me. But, you know, I gave it a shot. I, I, did, I did what I could. 
I remember getting my test back and seeing that I had gotten a 60%. It was the lowest grade I'd, I'd ever gotten on a test to that point. And I remembered feeling somewhat defeated, but expressed it aloud to myself, well, at least I passed. You know, I got my test back. I'm sitting at my desk, and, and the test hits my desk. So the teacher goes by. You know how it is. He hands out the test as he walks down the aisles. And I flip it over, and there's that big 60. And I'm like, well, not what I was hoping for. Not what I, I thought I put in, but at least, at least I passed. And you see, in Canada at the time, the system that I grew up in, the standards that I was used to, stated that 50% was passing. If you got half the questions right, you passed. And it, it may not have been pretty, right? Like, it may not have been a great effort, but you got half of them right. You got over half of it right. At least, at least you passed. You got there. My teacher heard me express my thoughts out loud and called me to his desk. And there he quietly informed me that in order to pass the test, I needed to achieve a 70% or better. 50% was not passing here. I had failed the test. The standards that I had been used to, the standards that made more sense to me, these didn't apply in this classroom. I had fallen short of the expectation I had failed. And I will never forget it. And wouldn't it be great if testing ended in school? If after we graduated and got out and started our jobs, started raising our families, started living our lives, if testing just ended, wasn't something we had to deal with anymore, we made it, right? We survived. Now just, just leave us alone. Let us live our lives. But each of us knows that this is not the case, that we may not be sitting in a classroom being asked to fill out the proper answers and the correct blanks. Life can still feel like that at times. Our cars are tested to make sure they are running up to the correct standards. Our work is inspected to make sure we are doing the job that is expected of us. Our health is tested in an attempt to keep us up and moving and grooving as long as possible. The list goes on, right? I mean, there's so many things that are tested in our lives. I'm just trying to sketch out a rough outline. And I'm sure that each of us can think of ways that we are put to test on a daily basis. But hey, at the end of the day, relationships test us more than anything else, right? It's those stinking relationships. Whether they're with friends, family, our kids, or our spouses, relationships test us. They test our commitment, our judgment, our patience. We can't escape being tested. We can't escape seeing how we measure up. And it's true of our relationship with God as well. For as we walk with the Lord, our faith is tested. We have a lot in common with Abraham in this particular fact. Abraham's, man, his whole life must have seemed like a test of faith. And in some ways it was. I mean, dude is chilling in the fantastic and amenity-filled city, ancient city of Ur, when, when some god he's never heard of before says, hey, go. Go to the land that I will give you as an inheritance. I know you've never seen it, and I know this is the first you've ever heard from me, but have faith and go. And Abraham believes God, and he goes. 
Now Abraham's journey takes him through Egypt, and while he's there, Abraham looks at his wife Sarah and says, Sarah, you are so beautiful. You are so beautiful, in fact, that I'm worried that the Pharaoh of Egypt will look at you and want you for his own, and that he'll kill me so that he can marry you. So I've got this great plan. Why don't we say that you're my sister so that the Pharaoh doesn't kill me because of your great beauty? And this is what they do. How's Abraham doing with this whole test of faith thing? He left Ur? Yes, he did. He left Ur like he was supposed to. But now he's nervous about his own skin because, well... Can he be sure that God will protect him in Egypt? And sure enough, Sarah does catch the eye of the Pharaoh. But since she's masquerading as Abraham's sister, the Pharaoh just brings her into his house. And then he is set upon by great plagues and he gets mad. And he asks Abraham, what was he thinking? How could you have been so selfish and so foolish to enable this mistake to happen? And then he promptly kicks them out of Egypt. You may be here like hanging out and chilling and that's cool and everything, but you lied to me and now I've got all of these plagues happening in my house. Get out. Take your wife, you liar, and get out. Now again, they're on their journey and they are journeying for a long time and they're starting to get older. And Sarah comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I am getting old. We have no children. Take my servant Hagar and have a child with her so that you might have an heir. And so Abraham does. He has a child with Hagar for he is not sure how else he will have an heir to inherit this land that God has promised him. Is Abraham leaning into the whole faith in God's promises things as he takes matters into his own hands? Not long after this, God comes to Abraham and he tells Abraham that he will make Abraham the father of a multitude of nations. And he establishes a covenant with Abraham's line of descendants. And how does Abraham respond when God tells him that Sarah will conceive and have a son? God says, I'm going to have, you know, I'm, I'm going to make you the, the, the father of many nations. And your wife is going to conceive and have a son. And then we read in Genesis 17, 17 to 18. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Abraham laughs. He laughs in disbelief. He laughs in the face of God. How can a man who is 100 years old have a child? How can a woman who is 90 years old bear a child? Abraham follows this disbelieving laughter up with the question, Can't you just take my answer, God? Can't you just accept Ishmael? Look, God, no, I fixed it for you. I got on it before it was too late. Can't you just take my answer instead? My answer at least makes sense, even if it doesn't check all of the boxes. Can't you just accept my answer? 
Not only is Abraham not putting his faith in God to get things done, he has the brass to think that he's made up for God's oversight. Can anyone else relate to Abraham in this situation? How many times have I known I was supposed to trust in the Lord for guidance or direction, and instead of going to the Bible, I read a self-help book and just expect God to work in the ways that the book laid out? Instead of getting my direction from his word. How have you taken matters into your own hands and leaned on your own understanding? Instead of putting your faith in God and his word and his promises. And then shortly after this exchange, we read in Genesis 18 about how Sarah overhears three angels talking with Abraham. And she hears them Tell him that in one year, Sarah will have a son. Now this, I mean, it's a bit crazy. Sarah's 90 years old. She's past childbearing age. The bodily functions that enable conception have long since ceased their functioning. So how does she respond to this announcement? Genesis 18, 12 to 15 reads, So Sarah laughed to herself. Saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no. But you did laugh. Sarah laughs. And when she gets called out, and she's like, no, I didn't, I didn't really do that. Like, that wasn't actually what I did. I, I didn't really laugh. And then the Lord says, oh, Sarah, oh, Sarah. But you did laugh. Busted. But hey, here we have the great prince and the princess of faith, the father and mother of all who believe, fall to incredulous laughter before coming to profound faith. And then in Genesis 21, we read that Sarah does become pregnant. And she does bear a son. And they name him Isaac, which means he laughs. And the laughter comes full circle. From from incredulousness to joy and thankfulness. They have a son. Abraham has an heir. And life is good. And everything seems to have finally gone well. Abraham has the promise of God. Abraham has his son. He's content. He's happy. The testing is over. It's time for retirement. But then in Genesis 22, the Lord comes to Abraham and the Lord asks Abraham to take Isaac, his only son whom he loves, to take him to the land of Moriah, three days journey away, and to offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that God will show him. And how does this man who has an inconsistent history of trust Responding to the direction of God. How does he respond? 
He gets up early the next morning and gathering just a few servants and Isaac, and he goes. He doesn't tell Sarah. He doesn't want to be talked out of it. He knows that he needs to follow the Lord's instruction. And when they near the mountain of God's choosing, he tells his servants to wait. He doesn't want them to be able to stop him either. He knows it wouldn't take a lot of convincing to keep him from doing what he has been instructed to do. And up the mountain goes ancient Abraham, well over a hundred years now, and his young son. And as they gather the wood for the burnt offering on the way, Isaac's not dumb. He knows that they are here for an offering, and he asks his father, where is the offering? We have the wood, but where, where is the offering? And with a heavy heart, Abraham looks at his son that he had been promised. This son that he loves so much and responds, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And when they get to the top, to the place that God has directed, Abraham builds an altar and then he goes to Isaac. And how do you think that conversation went? Isaac may be young, But chances are that even at that age, he could have overpowered his super old father who just hiked up a mountain. And if not overpowered him, at least run from him, tired as Abraham must have been, what with the hike and the emotional burden that he was carrying. But as a testament to Isaac's faith and his obedience to his father, Isaac is bound and placed on the altar. And Abraham prepares to slaughter his son. Whoa. This seems like it's going a bit overboard. It seems like if there was a test that Abraham should be failing, from a moral perspective anyway, moral perspective, this, this is the one. Well, we may look back on him from our comfy positions thousands of years in the future and shame him for how he lied about Sarah being his wife and how he indulged his desires and slept with Hagar in order to have an heir. Isn't this where he should be drawing the line? Our text this morning tells us that Abraham was so convinced, so full of faith that he did not believe he would lose his son. The same God that had demanded this sacrifice is the same God who called him out of Ur. The same God who protected him throughout his journeys, sometimes in spite of himself. This is the same God who enabled his wife way past menopause to bear the child that had been promised. This God is powerful. This God is able. And our text this morning tells us that even though Abraham was willing to go through with the instructions of God, he believed that God had the power to bring Isaac back. From the dead. Not that he had seen God do this recently or ever. But he was so convinced that God would keep the promises that God had made to him, that God would keep his covenant with him, that he was convinced that God would bring his son back to life, back into his arms once again. What a test of faith! What a testament of faith! How are you doing with the tests of faith that have come your way? Sometimes the world and our sinful selves can convince us that God is a vindictive school teacher. 
throwing test after test at us to see if we can keep passing and then scolding us when we don't make the grade. But friends, church, the testing of faith is about the daily walk of faith and not God giving us vicious pop quizzes. God's not sitting up in heaven with a scorecard intent on knocking us down a few pegs or chuckling at our failures. He is a God of love, a God of compassion, who wants us to succeed. And so, as Tim Keller puts it, the tests of faith that come our way in life, they serve two purposes, to show us and to grow us. God allows us to go through times in which our faith is tested. Often he brings those times upon us, but they are not to put us in our place or to cause us pain and anxiety and suffering. And though they may or he may bring those upon us, our loving Heavenly Father, his intent is to show us and to grow us. To show us that we are dependent on his promises. We are dependent on the promises of God. We can't get to heaven. We can't maintain our faith. We can't maintain our salvation. We need God. And as our faith is tested, this becomes more and more clear to us. In the tests of faith that we experience, God is calling us to learn more and more. And to lean more and more into what he has done for us. And the promises that he has made us. And to rely less and less on our own abilities, plans, and understandings. And these tests of faith also grow us. As we walk in faith, relying on the promises of God, we grow and bear fruit. Through faith, through walking in faith, through being tested in faith, God uses our lives our experiences, what he has brought us to and through to bear fruit in our lives. Sometimes that fruit leads to a healthier, more nutritious walk with him. Sometimes that fruit leads to being more effectively used in his mission, the mission of God to save the souls of the lost. That day on the mountain in Moriah, God bore fruit in the lives of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham had his knife raised high above his son, ready to sacrifice him to the Lord. When in Genesis 22, 11 and 19, we read, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. God Provided. 
God provided a worthy sacrifice for Abraham and Isaac that day, and he has provided a worthy sacrifice for us as well. For no matter how much we give up, no matter how good we are, no matter how well we perform on our tests, we are like I was my junior year of high school, thinking, thinking that I passed the test only to find out that the bar was set higher than I had realized. And that despite my best efforts and my assumption of having passed, I had failed. The bar is set higher than we will ever realize or reach. We cannot be good enough. We cannot give up enough. We cannot pass enough tests to appease God, to be a worthy sacrifice for God. And so God provided. God provided Jesus. The pure spotless lamb and Jesus lived life on this planet that is completely tainted by sin and being fully God, but also fully man, he was tempted by all that we are tempted by. Yet where we have failed continuously, he passed. Perfectly. We can't even be graded on a curve, for he was perfect. And because of his perfection, he was able to pay the price for our sin. He was able to take our place on the altar. He was a worthy sacrifice. What God stopped Abraham from doing, he did himself. God offered his only son on our behalf and in our place. And so through faith in Jesus, we are covered by Jesus. When we in faith in Jesus, God does not see our sinfulness. He does not see our imperfect and failing test scores. He only sees the perfect 100% that Jesus earned. I don't know about you in your life. But it's pretty clear to me in mind that I do not pass every test of faith that comes my way. Like Abraham and Sarah, sometimes I laugh at God's ridiculousness. Sometimes I do what I want to do. Sometimes I fail to do what I should do. Sometimes I fail to be faithful like I know I'm supposed to be and like I want to be. But church, friends, I'm reminded In 2 Timothy 2.13, that when I am failing, when I am falling, when I am faithless, Christ is faithful. Christ is faithful. That is true for all of us who believe. And through Christ, through belief in Christ and his faithfulness, we can realize the promises of God. Because of Jesus, we are forgiven. Through faith in Jesus, we are reconciled to the Father and He can have relationship with us again because of Christ's work on the cross. Through faith in Jesus, we have a hope and a future. Not a glory here on earth, but of spending an eternity of glory, worshiping and praising God forever in heaven. As you go through struggles, frustrations, and tests here on earth, let them point you to the cross. Let them point you to Jesus. Take rest there. Take rest in the God that loves you, that cares for you, that is showing you that we are dependent on him 
and His promises and that is growing you in your faith and your trust and your relationship with Him. What a wonderful, fantastic, faithful, and gracious God we serve. Amen. As we respond to the word this morning, let's stand and sing our hymn of response, How Great Thou Art.